Well, it's Easter. The most important day of the year, in my opinion. All kinds of things we celebrate. People get excited about the Super Bowl. They get, at church, we get excited about Christmas. But Easter, in my book, is the most important day of the year. Just think about it. 2,000 years ago, the Romans and the Jewish religious leaders and Satan himself thought that they had won. They thought that they had defeated Jesus. But guess what? They were mistaken. Death couldn't defeat Jesus. The grave couldn't hold him. Because this is what we know. Jesus is alive. He's alive right now. Tell the person next to you, say, Jesus is alive. He is. It's a reality. Jesus is not was. I didn't say Jesus was alive. Say, Jesus is alive. And today what we're going to do is we're going to do something like we did last Sunday, Palm Sunday. If you're visiting with us, just follow along. You'll, you'll get it. We're going to a series called What's Normal Anyway. We're looking, going through the book of Acts and uh, looking at what's normal Christianity according to the book of Acts. So we're going to do something this Sunday like we did last Sunday. We're going to look at the events of that Easter morning 2,000 years ago first, and then we're going to jump forward into the book of Acts to see how that event shaped the early, what we're calling Acts Christians, early Christians. And we will see how that event, the event of Easter, the first Easter, shaped what was normal for them, how it affected their lives, how it literally affected everything about their lives, and therefore how it should be normal for us, and it should affect everything about our lives. So grab your Bibles, open with me the Gospel of Mark. If you don't have a Bible, there's, there's ones on the racks and the chairs in front of you. You're welcome to take that. Use it today. If you don't have a Bible, take it with you. Um, we'd, not, we'd like more than to have you reading the Bible. And so, Mark chapter 16, starting in verse 1, the story of 2,000 years ago. The resurrection. You there? I'm just going to warn you in advance. We're going to look at a lot of scripture today. Okay? So get ready to flip some pages with me. So starting here. Resurrection. Mark 16. Starting in verse 1. It says, When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, brought spices so they may come and anoint him. Him being Jesus who's in the tomb. Very early on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. They were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? Looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, although it was extremely large. Entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting at the right, wearing a white robe, and they were amazed. And he said to them, do not be amazed. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene, who has been crucified. He has risen. He is not here. Behold, here is the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. They went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had gripped them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Now after he had risen early on the first day of the week, he appeared to Mary Magdalene, and from whom he had cast out seven demons, and she went and reported to those who had been with him while they were mourning and weeping. And when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they refused to believe it. After that, he appeared in a different form to two of them while they were walking along on their way to the country. 
and they went away and reported it to the others. But they did not believe them either. And afterwards he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at the table, and he reproached them for their unbelief and the hardness of heart, because they had not believed those who had seen him after he had risen. We'll stop right there. On that Sunday morning, his followers went to the tomb, expecting to continue with their burial traditions, wrapping the body in cloths, anointing him with spices. They went there carrying all that, went to the tomb, but instead they were faced with something they never expected. They were faced with an empty tomb. And an angel spoke words that must have been almost impossible to believe after the events that they had been part of over the previous week. That's over and over. It says people heard it and they, they just couldn't believe it. And there's a reason for it. Because think of what they had been through in just the previous week with Jesus. In the last week, they had seen Jesus enter Jerusalem on a donkey like a king. We talked about that last Sunday, Palm Sunday. To shouts of Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus came into Jerusalem, fulfilling prophecy that your, your promised Messiah, deliverer, would come. And he would ride not as a, as a conquering, a conquering uh, military force on a, on, a, on a stallion, but he'd come in a donkey lowly and come in there as a king. They had seen that happen. They had seen Jesus after that go and cleanse the temple. We walked into the temple, flipping over all the tables of the money changers, saying this. He said, declaring, my father's house shall be a house of prayer. They saw him in all his authority. Do that and walk away. They're saying, who is this guy that he can go in and do that? Then they had eaten the last supper with him. He spent that night with the twelve. When Jesus took a, a basin and a towel and he washed their feet and he said, I'm a servant, you must be a servant also. And then he said something to them that had to just be so, so bizarre to hear. He said, take this bread, eat it. This is my body. Take this cup, drink it. This is my blood. And they had to think, what's, what's that all mean? And then they had went with him to Gethsemane where he had prayed in such agony that it says sweats, that, that his sweat turned into drops of blood. And then he prayed something to the Father. He said, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. In other words, God, I can't go through it. I said I would drink the cup of all the agony, but God, I don't think I can do it. God, if there's any other way, please make another way. And then that night in the garden, led by a traitor, one of their own, they'd seen an angry mob come in and arrest him. And he went through a mock trial, and they found him guilty. And then they saw Jesus beaten and spit upon, and nailed to a cross between two thieves, where he died the most horrible death any person would ever die. And finally, they had seen him buried in a borrowed tomb. That was their last week. That's the highs and the lows they had gone through in that last week. But then comes Sunday morning. Then comes Sunday morning, when they're going thinking that the, that the week is just going to continue the way it has, that he's dead, he's gone, it's not what we expected, let's wrap his body, anoint him with, with all these, all these uh, the spices. But then Sunday morning, it must have been almost impossible to grasp the words from the angel when he said this, you are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who has been crucified. They said, yeah. We understand that. But then the angel said, He has risen. He's not here. 
Can you imagine how their minds and emotions must have been spinning on that day, saying, he's alive? He's alive? He's alive! Because that's what had to be going on inside of them, just that emotions and just thinking, how can this be possible? That reality, he's alive. From that moment forward became the central focus of their entire lives and existence. That, those couple words, he is alive, and then him showing himself alive, from that moment forward became the primary thing, the central focus of their lives. And from that moment on, what was normal anyway for them, and should be for us. What's normal anyway? After your Savior's risen from the grave, it's then living in relationship with a risen Savior. What was normal for them anyways from that moment on was what did it mean to live in a relationship with a risen, eternal Savior? You see, before that point, they had, in the the previous three years, had a very real and intimate relationship with Jesus. They walked with them. They talked with them. They ate with them. He rebuked them. He had a very intimate relationship. And what they found on that resurrection morning is that they still were in a very real and intimate relationship with the risen Savior. They found that they still were in relationship with the risen Lord. In fact, when we look at the book of Acts, we find that the number one thing that they talked about, remember in Acts we're recording, it's it's stories talking about the early church, the number one most repeated thing they talk about in Acts is the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that he is alive. It's the dominant theme. Let me show that to you. Grab your Bibles, and we're just going to really quickly look at a whole bunch of different things where we just, what I'm hoping is going to happen, you're going to go, wow, I, I really didn't get that before. That the dominant theme of the, what they discussed in the book of Acts was the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Look at chapter 1, start there. We're just going to go through the first couple of chapters and just point out a few things. Look at chapter 1 of Acts. Look at verse 22. Here they're going through and they're selecting Judas's successor and they're saying, what's this guy have to have? What, you know, what are we looking for? In verse 22 it says, beginning, what, what does he have to have? He has to be a man who, among other things, beginning with the baptism of John until the day that he was taken up with us, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. They said he had to walk with us the whole time so that he could be, from this moment on, a witness with us of Christ's resurrection. Look at chapter 2 with me. Look at verse 24. Peter's preaching a sermon. In the midst of his sermon, he says, verse 24, but God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. Then look at in that same sermon, verse 32. This Jesus God raised up again, to which we are all witnesses. Go to chapter 3 with me. Look at verse 15. But put to death the prince of life, the one whom God raised from the dead, a fact to which we are witnesses. Slide over in that same chapter to verse, to verse 26. For, for you first, God raised up his servant and sent him to bless you by turning every one of you from your wicked ways. God raised up his servant. Chapter 4, look at verse 2 being greatly disturbed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Look at verse 10. 
Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name this man stands here before you in good health. Look at verse 33. You getting the point here? Verse 33. And with great power of the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of Jesus, of the Lord Jesus, and abundant grace was upon them all. How about chapter 5? Verse 30, the God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you had put to death by hanging him on a cross. Friends, on and on and on it goes. The central reality that the early church understood was that Jesus was alive. In fact, flip to near the end of Acts. Look at Acts 23. I think this is so so amazing to understand. In chapter 23, we'll read verse 6 in just a moment. The Apostle Paul said that it is because he believed in the resurrection that he was arrested and on trial and would eventually be executed. Look at 23, verse 6. While he's on trial, standing before the council, he says, but perceiving that one group were Sadducees and the others were Pharisees, Paul began crying out in the council, brethren, I am, a, I am a Pharisee, a son of a Pharisee. I am on trial for the hope and resurrection of the dead. He says, the whole reason he got problems with me is because I believe in the resurrection. And people understood that that was their primary thing they taught because then just a few chapters later in chapter 25, the Roman governor Festus told King Agrippa that the reason that the Jews wanted Paul executed was because of his belief in the resurrection. The last verse we'll look at here. Look at chapter 25, verse 19. This is, the, this is Festus trying to explain to Agrippa why these guys want him killed. He says, but they simply had some points of disagreement with him about their own religion and about a dead man, Jesus, whom Paul asserted to be alive. Friends, normal for them was living in the reality that Jesus is alive. To them, that's what Christianity is. Think of all the ways that somebody would say, how do you define Christianity? They would say, Christianity, the gospel, is that Jesus was dead, and now he's alive. They would say, that's what the gospel is. Jesus, the Son of God, is alive, and everyone needs to find salvation in him. And friends, that's the heart and the soul of the gospel. Turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians. I told you we're going to look at a lot of stuff today because I simply want God's word to speak to you today about the centrality of the resurrection. Because here's what I think we have today. I think a lot of people in our culture say, I like Jesus. And they just, they don't care about the resurrection. They don't care about, I like his teaching. Here's the deal, friends. If you don't have a Jesus who's died and rose from the dead, you don't have Jesus. You don't have salvation if you don't have a Savior who died for your sins and rose to break the power of sin in your life and to give you eternal life. He's the first fruits and then we follow Him. Without a resurrected Savior, you've got nothing. And the Scriptures scream that. And somehow in the world today, we're overlooking it. But in the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, he said, listen, I'll tell you what the Gospel is. I'll explain the Gospel. What a great thing for you to put a bookmarker in. And somebody says, what's Christianity? Take them to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Look at the first eight verses with me. He says, Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel. He's explaining what he's going to talk about. The gospel which I preached to you, which you also received, and in which you stand, by which you were saved, 
If you hold fast to the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. And he says, here's the gospel. This is it. Verse 3, right in the middle. That Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. And that he was buried. And that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter. Then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. Paul says, this is the gospel by which you can be saved. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and he was buried, and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and he appeared to Peter, and he appeared to the twelve, and he appeared to five hundred, and he, and he appeared to James, and Paul says, and finally, he appeared to me. He's saying, listen, friends, this is the deal. Jesus is alive. Paul says the gospel is the death and the resurrection of Jesus. The resurrection wasn't just an important thing to them, The resurrection was the only thing to them. The most important thing was understanding that Jesus is alive. And church, because those early Christians so believed that Jesus was alive and that he was with them by the Spirit, he was resident with them, it then affected everything about their lives. It affected how they lived. What we find in the New Testament, what we find in the book of Acts, is what was normal anyways, is that because Jesus was alive, they acted differently. One of the things we find is this. Because he was alive, they would then face any situation knowing that they were not alone and that Jesus would care for them. So they were able to live in peace and contentment. That's, that's, that's what living in relationship with a living Savior is. They were so convinced, so confident that he was alive that they could go through anything. And walk with peace and contentment. That's exactly what the Apostle Paul says in the book of Philippians. Turn with me to the book of Philippians. Are you getting your Bible practice today? I hope you are. Book of Philippians chapter 4. It's all about the resurrection. I want Again, I want the scriptures to scream at you today. Saying we, they could live this way. They could live in contentment walking through any difficulty. Because Jesus was alive. Start in verse 4 with me of chapter Chapter 4, it says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Look at The central thought that allowed Paul to say that you could have peace, is found in verse 5 here. The Lord is near. Another way of saying that, the Lord Jesus is alive. Friends, Paul knew that Jesus was alive and near, and that changes everything. You can face anything when you know you're walking in relationship with the living Savior. And he repeats this idea again, In verses 11 through 13, look at that real quickly. 11 through 13 of chapter 4. He says, not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. 
I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live with prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. In verse 13, how? I can do all things through him, through Christ, who strengthens me. Paul and friends, you and me, can face any situation, abundance or lack, difficulty or good times, and he says here, and be content. Why? Because the living Jesus strengthens him, strengthens us. Verse 13, you want another one to underline in your Bible. I can do all things through him, through Christ, who strengthens me. Why? Because Jesus isn't a philosophy. Jesus isn't a religion. Jesus is a living Savior. He's alive today. His presence is here today. And because of that, I can face anything. Because of that, you can face anything if your life is in Him. Friends, knowing that Jesus is alive, they could face any situation, knowing that He was not only present to give them contentment, but present to minister by His strength in any situation. It's why, the, why Peter and John could walk up to a lame man sitting outside the temple gate and say to him, you know what, we don't have any money. They said, silver and gold, we don't have any. But what I have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, walk. Friends, they knew Jesus was a living reality, and he was present to minister. That was normal for them. And friends, it's normal for us. I didn't give you an update on something this morning until right now for a reason. We prayed last Sunday, and we prayed last Saturday for something that seemed absolutely impossible. A pastor from Minnesota, Pastor Steve, Steve Sullivan, that, that, that some of us know, some of the people in our church have a connection to, and he was literally at death's door one week ago, and there was absolutely no hope. And people from around the world prayed. And guess what? He's walking, he's talking, he's getting better every single moment. Why? Because a risen Savior. The doctors said there's no hope. And I have to admit, when I heard the, when I heard the situation, and I watched it declining over the, the days, I thought, there's no hope, he's gone, he's dead, he's going to meet with Jesus. But guess what? He's not dead and gone, he's alive and getting well. Why? Because he serves a risen Savior. Because Jesus is alive Today, what a difference it makes in your life to live in the reality that Jesus is alive and he's present with you every day and every way. Friends, it makes a difference, right? It makes all the difference, right? Easter reminds us about this truth. Now, I could stop right now. You could go out of here shouting, hallelujah. Jesus is alive, and I want you to go out of here shouting hallelujah. But I want to give you something else. Because Easter also reminds us about the living Savior. It also reminds me, and maybe you, that this relationship with the risen Savior can sometimes be less tangible than I think it can and should be. They saw him rose. They say, Thomas put his fingers in his hand. We haven't done that. And sometimes this relationship with the risen Savior can be something less 
less tangible than I think it can or should be. I know he's alive, but I don't necessarily feel all that connected all the time. Is that ever true for you? I think if we're honest, it's true for all of us. Some of you are saying, I've never felt the connection ever in my life. Jesus wants you to feel that. He wants you to know him today. Some some of you maybe need to come to Jesus for the first time today. And you'll know it. But then you walk with Jesus for a while. And you kind of you kind of say, God, you know, you walk through the tough time. You say, are you really there? You know in here you, he is, but you feel in here like, really? And friends, if that's the case, that will affect how you live every day of your life. What was normal for them? They knew he was alive. It affected everything about their life. But thinking... Yeah, I don't really know, or I don't really feel it. That will affect how you live every single day also. And so with the remaining time we have left today, I want to share with you what I've found to be the most important practice I personally engage in to cultivate a continual awareness of the Lord's presence. I honestly feel like this. I want to give you an Easter gift today to tell you how what God has helped me to discover on how I can have an awareness of the risen Savior so that living in relationship with Him will be normal for us. And I want to call it this, because I need, I'm a simple guy. I've got to have a word picture. I've got to understand something. Like this is the practice that the Lord has led me to, and I call it this. I call it tending the fire. Tending the fire. I'm going to explain that for the next few minutes. This is the reality of life. When we come to Jesus as Savior, We begin a relationship with him. We know that. He calls us by name. We respond. He forgives us of our sins. He's alive. He can do that. He's powerful. We know that once we were separated because of sin, but he paid for our sin on the cross and is now alive, and we are in relationship with him when we come to Jesus and we're born again. And in essence, the relationship we have with him, I want to say, is like a fire. He ignites a spiritual flame within us when we are saved. We can't ignite the flame. We can't save ourselves. We can't even initiate it. We can only respond. And when we come to him, he ignites, in essence, a spiritual flame within us. So when you first came to Christ, here's what I found out with myself and other people. The flame is burning bright when you first come to Jesus. And everything in your life is about Jesus. Matter of fact, everything's about Jesus so much to a point that oftentimes the people around you are like, hey, cool it, Jack. You're getting a little crazy right now. You're going over the top. You're driving me nuts. Just shut up. I don't care about your Jesus stuff. Anybody ever have that happen? I sure did. You know, and that's the reality. He's so alive. He's so real. God's lit the fire in your, inside of your spirit. And you're going, you got everybody. You're going, how can you be so dense? How can't you see this? This is the truth. And it is the truth. But then what happens over time? Over time, that, state, that flame can start to flip to fade. Now, it gets re-energized at times. You come to church and you, you worship God and you look into his word or maybe you spend some time in prayer with some other people or listen to the great Christian music and something begins to rekindle that flame within you. But all in all, it seems to dwindle a little bit more as the, as the days go by. And you begin to say this, Jesus just doesn't seem as present to me anymore. You know, I've found over 30 years of walking with Jesus. Matter of fact, I thought of this. It was on my 21st birthday that I was at a Christian retreat. I'd been introduced to Christ earlier with a group of friends. Your dad was one of them, Leah. 
invited me to a retreat. And the Lord spoke to me and said, are you going to follow me or not? It was my 21st birthday. I thought of that the other day. So it's been 30 years, 29 years. Hey, stay at 29. <laughs> For 29, the memory's the first thing to go. I have found that this time of walking with Jesus, that that happens, that, that, that sense of the presence of the Lord being less tangible, that happens not because Jesus has moved away from me, but that I, because of the realities of life, the busyness, the preoccupations, have begun to move away from him. I've begun to drift. The relationship is available, but it's not so vibrant because I've neglected it, even when I've been pastoring a church. Even when you say, well, you're preaching sermons every week. It still happens. It can happen to every single person. I found this to be the truth of my life. But I've also found, this is what I want to share with you, that this does not have to be the case. That if I will tend the spiritual fire, that my relationship with Jesus is a very real, present reality. If I think about it like a fire. If I think about it in the sense that, that the spiritual life is a fire and that I can keep that fire stoked. And this is what I mean by that. I mean by tending the fire. That just like a fire in a fireplace needs to have wood put on it continually so that it doesn't go out. So my spiritual life needs to have fuel put into it continually throughout every day of my life. At the beginning of the day and throughout the day, I have to stoke the fire. And I can say, this has changed my entire walk with Jesus, getting this picture in my mind, that the fire has to be stoked. I know what camping's like. You don't just build a fire and let it go. You've got to continually, throughout the day, put another log on the fire. It has to be stoked. So just putting a log on the fire in the morning won't keep it burning throughout the day. The fire needs to be tended on purpose. There's a woman, a Christian author, named Madame Guyon. She wrote in the 1600s about this. And her writings have been a great blessing to me. In one of her books, she wrote a book to her daughter. And it was entitled this, How to Pass the Day Devotionally. And this is what it's talking about. It's talking about tending the fire. And I've been trying to adapt her tending the fire principles, her how to pass the day devotionally, to my life and how to tend a fire so that I cannot have to feel like, where is he? I believe it up here, but I don't feel it in here. And from her writings, I've come up with four elements. She had eight, other than a simpler time. She had eight. We have four. I, I've come up with four elements that I want to, that this is how for me, I want to structure my life to contain these things because they're designed to, to make sure that the fire of my life is well tended. Now understand, these are not laws. These are not things you can do to impress God. You know you can't impress God. God loves you for who you are. He wants you to grow and develop because for you. So these aren't laws. And, and you don't get brownie points by doing these. What you do get is you'll get the greatest thing that the world has to offer is a constant awareness of Christ's presence in your life. It keeps you from drifting. I'll tell you, friends, I can say this day, the older you get, <laughs> you find out that the only thing, 
that satisfies in this world is being aware of a relationship with Jesus. And just look around and look at everybody else in the world who doesn't know Christ. There's no contentment. There's no satisfaction. If you just buy the next thing, go to the next place, you'll find it. No, you won't. Because God created you for a relationship with Himself. And we can have a relationship that is living in the reality of a relationship with the risen Savior. So there's things we can do, these components. They're, they're, they're a structure adapting from Madame Guyon's thing. I've taken a structure. I've taken her eight, created four, that these are four things I want in my life every day. Now, guess what? Some days I don't have all four. But mainly it's just having the mentality that says I'm constantly stoking the fire. I have to stoke it if I want to get the result that I want, which is this awareness of Christ. So I'm going to give you a number one. This is the first thing. Before I get out of bed in the morning, I want to affirm what is true and commit my day to the Lord. I say that on purpose. Before I get out of bed in the morning. I don't know about you. The second my feet hit the floor, I'm running. Matter of fact, before my feet hit the floor, I'm running. Suzanne said to me one day, she says, I feel sorry for you. Because Suzanne sleeps like a rock. It's the gift from God. It's peace. I look at her sometimes, I want to punch her. Because she's just like, <laughs> she just sleeps, you know. And I'm just awake all the time. This morning, she said, I just sleep. I said, well, I was awake at 3 and at 3.30 and 4 and 4.30 and 5 and 5.30. And then the alarm went off. So, and that's just my life, every day of my life. That's how, that's, that's how I'm wired. And so what I want to do before I get out of bed, and for me, i got a lot of time to do it. Um, before my feet hit the ground, I want to affirm what is true, explain this, and commit my day to the Lord. I have written out something I call my morning confession. And I was going to bring mine and read it for you, but I thought, no, it doesn't make sense because this is my morning confession. It's, I'm speaking the truth of what I know God wants, what, what is right with God. So I have a morning confession that I say every day, and it's pretty much memorized. And Suzanne probably doesn't know it, but I go through it in my head every single morning. I don't know if I've ever told her that. I've been doing it for years and years and years and years and years. I go through it in my head in the morning. And it, it's, it's just statements. Lord, I know you desire to walk with me and bless me today. Lord, I know that I'm seated in heavenly places in Christ, and I don't have to worry about anything because you're in control of everything. I've added one in the, last, in the last year or so. And Lord, I know that I am one in whom Christ dwells and delights, and I live in the stable kingdom of God. And then I commit to say, Lord, I commit today to loving my wife as Christ loved the church. Lord, I commit today from Ephesians 4.19 that I'll let no unwholesome word proceed out of my mouth, but only such a word as good for edification according to the need of the moment that it might give grace to the hearer. And I say, Lord, every day, God, please fill me today with the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, and peace, because I know I need those. And I go through this devotion in my head every morning. I'm committing to truth. I say, God, I thank you that I'm seated in heavenly places in Christ. I'm trying to align myself with the truth before my feet ever hit the floor. And then I'm committing to things in my life that tend to be sometimes tend to be problems. I tend to not have a lot of peace in my life. So I say, God, give me peace. I tend to say things I shouldn't say. So I commit to using my tongue for the Lord. You know, am I perfect at it? No. But I'm trying to align with the truth of what God want, what, what I know is true, and to make the commitments before I ever hit the floor. I'd recommend you do this. I have, a, I have this piece of paper. It's written out. It's clipped in the front cover of my Bible. I look at it almost every single day. But it's in my mind, so I don't have to. I'm, I'm thinking that I'm gonna, I want to change it a little bit. I'm thinking of taking it and, and laminating it and putting it next to the bed. And so that's the first thing. Before you get out of bed in the morning, affirm what is true and commit my day to the Lord. Number two is this. Spend, I'm just going to say it this, at least, 30 minutes devotionally 
in the morning. Now, I understand we're all different. But I'm saying what works for me. Okay? But I also think there's some wisdom in it because in the morning, unless you work a night shift, the morning sets the course for the rest of the day. And I want to set the course. Remember, what I'm trying to do is, is put logs in the fire to keep, because I don't know what's going on when I'm sleeping, but I know what's going on when I'm awake. That's when I, I don't know if I don't feel the presence of God when I'm sleeping, but I do know during the day. So I want to start the right thing. So at least 30 minutes devotionally, meaning with times of prayer, reflection, contemplation, scripture reading, devotional reading, praying in the Spirit, doing those things. I, and for me, I want this before I begin work. So that, that sets the course for my day. So here's what you can do. I used to do it. It's changed for me. I used to do it when the kids were really little. Early in the morning, before anybody got up, I'd get up, go to a certain place in the house, and, and spend time with the Lord. At this stage in my life, I don't do that anymore. I get up with the family, interact with the family after I've set my course, and the first thing I do, I show up here early, an hour early, and I spend an hour devotionally with the Lord I could stay at home an extra hour, but I don't. I come here an extra hour earlier to spend an hour devotionally with the Lord before I begin to work. And what I want to do in that time is I just want to spend time with Jesus, reflecting on him and what he has done. I'm not trying to check off a bunch of stuff. You know, I can read the Bible from cover to cover. That's fine. But I try to use smaller portions of Scripture, not spend the whole time just reading. I want to be reflective. I want to think about Jesus. I want to actually worship him. Sometimes I put the earbuds in and I press worship music, and I just spend time worshiping with the Lord. And so then spend that time devotionally in the morning. Then the next thing, and this third thing is the thing that's changed my life. And as I said, it's changed my life over the years. It's this concept of then throughout the day. Because the first two are pretty easy. And I think most of us say, yeah, we think we should do that. But it's this idea of putting logs on the fire during the day. So during the day, I'd say this, a few times during the day, add a log to the fire. At a break time, at a lunch time, And what I'm simply trying to do is I want to maintain an attitude of connectedness. I want to remind myself that Jesus really is alive and I really can be connected to him. That's supposed to be normal. So it's short prayers between activities. It's this meeting ends and this meeting begins and I say to the secretary, give me five minutes. That five minutes oftentimes is I'm just sitting and trying to say, God, I want to connect with you. It's devotional reading. I don't, I'm one of these guys, I work through lunch. I don't take lunch, so I just sit at my desk, I eat, I keep on going. But what I do do is right next to my lunch, right next to my desk is a devotion book. And every day I eat lunch, one thing I do is I pull the devotion book out and I go to the day of the, of the month or the year, you know, April 21st, and I read April 21st, and I read it and I reflect on it for a while. Trying to just, I'm just putting a log on the fire. Or it's scripture reading, something that Suzanne does because her job is a nurse. She goes, 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 goes. She doesn't get lunch, doesn't get anything. But she wouldn't really say this. But if you go to Suzanne, you walk up to her and you reach her scrubs, always have little pockets. You reach in a pocket under scrubs right here and there's always scripture verses written on cards. She says, because I'm going all day. So she takes a scripture verse, that's the verse for the day. And she has a scripture verse written on a card whenever she can. When she's got it five minutes or you don't have five, when you have five seconds. You pull out, she pulls it out, and she's trying to stoke the fire. She's putting a log on the fire. Another thing that my, Madame Guyane never even imagined is that you could listen to Christian music. She never even imagined that. 1600s, they never thought it was a car, microphones, lights, you know, music. Never. Zero. You can just turn on your radio. What I found for me 
is I've turned off, I think I've said this before, I, I hardly ever listen to talk radio in the car anymore. That's all I used to listen to. And I just listen to Christian music. And I just, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to redeem that time. I'm trying to say I want to add a log to the fire. And it's not because, you know, I'm not sure, I don't even like a lot of the music. I'm just like, I really don't like this, you know. I like certain style of music. That's not the style I like. But you know what? That's, I choose to do that. Why am I doing it? It's not because I'm trying to enjoy the music as much. I'm trying to put a log on the fire. I'm trying to focus and trying to say, God, I got this 15 minutes here. I want to redeem the time. So Christian music. Some of you have a job where you can have it on all day. Good for you. Most of us don't. Um, you know, I can't think and work and have music on. It's just not wired that way. And so some of you do. Put on a garment of praise. The goal in all of this is thinking about tending the fire. If you just have that image in your mind that says, I have to think about tending the fire, that you're just constantly thinking, I've got to put a log on the fire. It's not because you're trying to earn something. It's not works. You're just saying, I want to feel the presence of God, so I'm going to put a log on the fire. And then the fourth thing is this. End your day. This is my weakest one. I'll explain why. End your day with a time of self-examination and prayer. End it. And it simply mean by this, I'm not saying you've got to spend two hours in prayer. matter of fact, I think it can be five minutes. Or God may lead it to five hours. But it can be five minutes. Simply do this. Review in your mind your day with the Lord. Just process your day. Think back through your day with the Lord. Say, Lord, help me see my day today the way you saw it. And you know what happens? He, out of his grace and love, will remind you when you were short with your wife or where you didn't treat the coworker properly or where you cut the guy off in traffic. He's not doing that because he's mad at you. The Holy Spirit's doing that because he wants to help you get better. And so good thing is, is you then can roll over and tell your spouse, I'm sorry, or whatever. But it's the last thing you do. Um, now, here's the note why I say it's the hardest one for me. This won't work if you spend those last minutes watching TV or on your computer. Here's my habit. I've had it for years and years and years. I fall asleep watching TV every night. On purpose. Got a big old flat screen right on the end of, my, of our bed. Because my mind always goes. It's always my excuse, but it's the truth. My mind is going, and I sleep the best when that distracts me. I'm not thinking about anything real. It's some, you know, it's, you know, whatever, pawn stars, or it's, uh, um, you know, Alaskan cops, or something like that, you know, state troopers, something that has nothing to do with me. And I'm watching it, and I'm just going to sleep. And I do it night after night. Well, what I found is I can't do that and review my night with the Lord, and then I fall asleep. I don't do it. So this is the one I'm working on um, because I really think it's huge. Um, and so you want, I want to end my day giving the Lord a chance to help me get better. And Pawn Stars doesn't help me get better. It helped me see how much uh, 16th century muskets were, but, you know, nothing else. And so, and I would say this related to that one also. Go to sleep, to bed, to sleep as early as you can so that you can be more alert in the morning to start the next day devotionally with the Lord. Madame Guyane actually starts her first thing, her eight. Her first thing, she uses the evening twice. She talks about the evening first, saying go to bed early, right into her daughter, so that you'll be awake in the morning. And then her last one is devotionally look to the Lord. At the end of the day, she uses the evening twice because she's saying on either side, she said the key to the morning, getting up in the morning, spend time with the Lord, the key to it is going to bed early at night. And so I understand there's different seasons of life and you can't always do that in different work schedules. But I'm saying you do your best, 
here's the mistake I make. I'll probably stay up an hour later than I need to because I'm watching some stupid show about Alaska State Troopers, you know, um, or whatever, you know, a Monday night football or whatever. You know, unless the Packers are in it, doesn't pay to watch that that late. And so, and so I remember, this isn't laws. doesn't mean you can never stay up late. doesn't mean that, that every day I'm thinking this, but it's a structure I'm trying to integrate my life around. It's a structure I'm working on. Because, friends, there is nothing I want more than an awareness of Jesus in my life. Nothing. Your structure will look different. But here's some, I'm trying to take Madame Guyane's thing and kind of boil it down to a 21st century workable model. And I think you take that as an Easter gift and it will help you a lot, just thinking about tending the flame. Yours will look different, but you will in, you, will, you can include these same basic components of just keeping the fire going. I guarantee you, you will be blessed. The key is, keep the fire burning. Don't fool yourself into believing that the flame will be bright by coming to church on Sunday morning three times a month. It won't work. I'm not saying you won't be saved. I'm saying you won't have a sense of the presence of the Lord in your life. And if you miss that, you're missing the most important thing. Because what's normal anyways? Living in a relationship with the living Savior. It's Easter, friends. He is not here. He has risen. He's alive. Not was alive. Is alive. And he wants to be in relationship with us. Would you stand with me this morning? Maybe this Easter, maybe you're here as a guest with somebody. Maybe you've been here for year after year after year. But maybe this Easter is the first time that you're going to say, you know what, I want to begin a relationship with Jesus. There's no better time to do that than than right now. Maybe you're here today and this Easter God is saying, you know what, here's a gift to you. I want to give you a gift on how you can structure your life so that you can have a greater awareness of my presence because he's not ever going anywhere. We just drift. Friends, you ask the Lord how he wants you to, to implement this in your life today. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you. Thank you that Jesus, your Son, is alive. That the death, that death could not hold him. The grave could not contain him. And that he serves as an example of our future. A future of resurrected life if we're your children. If we have our sins forgiven why you went to the cross to to take the punishment upon yourself that we deserve for our sins. And you said, I'll take it. And now you just come to me and I'll give you instead forgiveness and you'll make us your children. 